Hello, welcome to Past Level 50. I'm Mel the Podcaster. Today we're going to meet Misty from Designs by Misty Blue. She's all over TikTok and she is a painter. She paints, I've seen her do watercolors and I know she uses acrylics, but I haven't watched that live yet. She sculpts clay. I've seen her uh, make these amazing uh, figures of llamas and just, I, I, it's like, wow. <laughs> and um, she's also in uh, doing some digital art. I wanted to bring her to you because Misty is on TikTok and she does her lives on Tuesday and Thursday mornings at 1030 Central. But as you watch, you realize that Misty is not just all about creativity. You realize that Misty is somehow guiding everyone towards um, finding a healthy way to deal with trauma. Yes. So I wanted to bring her on the show and have her talk about her life, where she's come from, as far as dealing with trauma and where she is now. So I bring to you Misty from Designs by Misty Blue. Hello, Misty. Hey, Mel. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to have you on the show. I've been so excited to talk to you. I feel like I know you. I see you every day. <laughs> I see you more often than I see some of my family and friends. And I feel that you're like, um, like a relative almost because you're, you're, you're out there. You're so friendly. And, uh, and now I have a pair of your earrings and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wore those yesterday. I didn't wear them to the senior center because I was a disco diva. For That's the- awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So I wore them afterwards and uh, we didn't do much um, giving of candy this year. We have three dogs who are very skittish of sounds and knocks on the doors. And I was like, I am not putting up with that. So yeah, kind of, you know, we do once a year, we do have to deal with the sound of like at 4th of July and and New Mm -hmm. Year's with the fireworks, but Halloween, we don't, we don't partake in that. How about you? What did you do for Halloween? Uh, well, I just made some hot dogs for the family, and we watched um, Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. We, uh, my husband and I, are still watching Banshee on. I I I think it's on Hulu. I'm not sure, but uh, we're watching that. And last night there was a fighting scene. It was. Well, I guess I shouldn't say because I don't want to ruin it for anyone. It was it was a female character fighting with a male character, and it just it took like they they were fighting and then they went, you know, another part of the, you know, the characters were somewhere else. And then they came back like three or four times. They came. These people were still fighting. I'm like, <laughs> this is like a lot because I know if someone hit me once, I'm down. <laughs> yeah (laughs) and these were like hitting with chairs and bookshelves and oh my god you know knocking each other a little bit through a window and then I was like that's a lot I don't think I could I could ever (laughs) 
I could ever fight like that, much less, no. you know, be hit that many times. So, yeah. How do you recover from a chair hit? I mean, come on. <laughs> Once I'm on the ground, I'm I'm pretty much down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But seeing so much violence, I don't know if I'm I don't know what happened yesterday. I, I feel like I watch other shows and I'm desensitized. But that yesterday, because it was um male on female type of violence Mm -hmm. and it just I don't know if it was triggering or if it was just uh standing up for women and I'm like she better win at the end of this sequence because I'm tired of watching this and I I think I'm I'm not I don't think I'm going to finish watching it I was really turned off by that scene so I don't know what the whole um I don't know I, I wasn't raised with um watching violence um at home mm-hmm. uh television and then uh the violence that i i endured as a child was listening to um verbal violence of uh, mm-hmm. verbal abuse uh grandparents uh towards mm-hmm. each other and it was it was pretty much equal it wasn't like my grandfather was verbally abusing it was it was both of them it was equal and I think that that's how they liked living and they they just they never stopped until once they got older I guess with medication and just like uh, enough but that was that was hard to live with um I do remember another relative um there was physical violence but I didn't live there I just um, would hear about it when it was talked about. Mm-hmm. So with that said, I, I know that uh, a lot of women out there are dealing with now with, even though they lived it as children, um, it's still, I, I think shows like this can be triggering. And, and I don't know, how, how do women deal with this? Can you, can you help us with that? Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very abusive home, whether it is verbal or physical, emotional, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing that has helped me the most throughout my life was just creating art. Yeah. Uh, it was my safe place. It was where I could go to be comforted and like I could create my own world. And it could be however I wanted. So it'd be beautiful and safe. So that's how I dealt with it as a child all into adulthood. But now, you know, I have had some therapy and I journal. That's helped tremendously. Mm -hmm. Because growing up, you know, I was told, um, shut up. I'll give you something to cry about. So you kind of learn to stuff your feelings And, you know, I was just in survival mode. Yes. So I couldn't process anything. And now that I'm in a safe environment um, and I'm all grown up, I, you know, I can process that now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think you remember, like the one of the first times that you either heard the fighting or um, like there's one core memory as a child that has stayed with you or maybe where it all started? One of the earliest memories um, that I had was um, 
my my parents were in their bedroom with the door open and they my my dad was standing over my mother and I don't know what they were fighting about or anything but he had a shotgun pointed at her oh my god and um and you saw this yes how old were you oh my gosh I was probably five six goodness no at at the most Mm -hmm. and um yeah he he's he turns and he looks at me and he's like if you go get help I'll kill her (sighs) and she's looking at me and she's like please go get help Mm -hmm. so I run to the neighbors and I tell the neighbor what's happening and like please help and the neighbor looks at me and says, it's not my problem. <gasps> wow. And I, I leave and on my way back home because I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, halfway home, I hear the shotgun go off. Oh, my God. So I think my mother's dead. Of course you think that immediately. Yeah. And so I, I am running even harder to the house. And I I come inside and um, he had shot the window out and she was cowering on the bed, but she wasn't dead. Mm -hmm. But that always stuck with me and it's still so vivid in my memory. Like, like I could still feel it. Like I'm still there. Yeah. 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 To be so young and that to be a memory that, you know, will live forever in your mind. It's etched in there because to, to know, what he was capable of doing after he told you. And then, I mean, here you are torn at five years old. Like, you know, you love your mother, you love your father and to see this predicament. And of course you're going to run for help. And he knew you would. I, I, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, so there were guns in your house. Mm -hmm. um, And he was, they were his guns. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did he ever threaten you and your brother? Um, well, my brother, so, it, you know, through all my learning of what, you know, all of this and just, you know, processing it, it was a narcissistic family structure. So my brother was the golden child. So he, he may have been the favorite, but he was still neglected. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was the scapegoat, but I was also beaten and, you know, ridiculed and, and everything, but. And this was by both parents that did this to you or, um, mostly my father, Mm -hmm. uh, but my mother was kind of also an, an enabler. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she just kind of went with it. And yeah, it was, it was a very rough environment to grow up in. Yeah. And here you were helping your mom when she was in such a dangerous situation and, and, uh, to know that she wouldn't help you that, that just sounds so painful. Oh my God. This is, this is hard to hear that, um, that at such a young age, you have such a vivid memory and it continued on till I'm sure through all your um, grade school and, and junior high. So when you did reach out to your neighbors, so your neighbors knew, of course, they could hear everything. So mm-hmm. they, they could hear all the yelling. I know because I know I could hear neighbors and I know neighbors could hear what was going on in my house. But 
to 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 put on the mask and go out there and act like yeah my childhood is is great you know everything's good how did you um, go on to school and how did you continue well school kind of became like a safe place for me mm-hmm. um in elementary school anyways, I wasn't really bullied or anything in, in elementary, but you know, I, I, I could take a break, right. I could breathe a little at school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also have, um, really bad stomach pains and oh. the nurse just thought I was hungry, but looking back now, it was probably anxiety mm-hmm. and, you know, just stuffing those emotions down. So there was a lot of that going to the school nurse with stomach pains and being fed crackers and, yeah, you know, and they let me lay down for a little bit until I felt better. Um, but yeah, so school was kind of just a safer place than home anyways. Yeah. And the nurse, I mean, think about it. What can a nurse give you is, is, um, cool water, uh, crackers, maybe a juice, mm-hmm. And a mint. <laughs> yeah. That's all they can do for you. I know that as a school teacher, I I would always offer, you know, it's like go go get some cold water and let's let's put this on your forehead. These were kindergartners and pre-K. Mm-hmm. That's all I had to offer. I couldn't offer any more than that. I did start bringing a little bit of I had like a lotion. Um, in a little pump and I would I would tell you know I would get some lotion and I would sit with the child and and they would get lotion and we'd sit there and we'd talk like you know five minutes or whatever and that's all I had Mm -hmm. I feel that as as educators we recognize symptoms of situations at home and we are what can we do but report what we can and usually I have seen situations where CPS would come in and it was always, you know, they would never find anything. So parents mm-hmm. do get to that point. Did you ever, were you ever questioned by CPS? Um, towards middle school, uh, there was a nurse who reported my family, but I still don't really know what tipped her off mm-hmm. because I always kept that stuff really close. Um, because I didn't, I figured if we ever got reported or anything, or they got reported, not me, um, that I would be split up from my brother and that, you know, I knew the devil at home. Mm. I didn't know what was out there and how worse it could get. So of course I kept it to myself, but in middle school, yes, there was a nurse and CPS was called and they came out and you know, I'm just trying to act like everything's fine. Yeah. And, you know, eventually they went away and left us alone. But, you know, I, I did what I felt like I had to, to, to keep myself, I don't want to say safe, but like, like I said, I didn't know what was out there and, and if it could get worse. Yeah. Yeah. When did you realize that it wasn't normal and that you were pretty much living in a situation that was different from your friends? I think pretty early on, Mm -hmm. um, because just going to school and being around other children, 
you know, I, I could see that they were all happy and, and more carefree than me. Yeah. And I kind of started to isolate myself away from everybody because I felt different. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel like I maybe I wasn't worthy of hanging out with these kids and, you know, maybe they wouldn't understand. So I became kind of isolated. I mean, I even remember school report cards that would say, you know, she doesn't play well with others. And it's not that I didn't play well with others. It's I didn't play with them at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because that doesn't play well with others means that you're an aggressive student who, um, starts things up in in groups and right and I think that the teacher was like oh we don't have like other <laughs> other yeah blank. and and that's what it that was probably what was needed on your progress reports and report cards that um you know it needs to uh you know associate or sit with others and yeah tends to isolate self it should be somewhere on there yeah. for what you were going through. I know that when I was growing up, I felt different. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I thought everybody else was like, we were poor and the neighborhood I was in was majority of us were, you know, it was working family and we were alone a lot and at each other's houses. I was born in 66. So this was the seventies, early seventies where we were alone a lot. But um, I never felt abandoned um, because I was always with friends. Very lucky. I was very lucky that I had some really great friends across the street. And next door, I had a neighbor who was in everybody's business who, (laughs) yeah, she was like a porch philosopher who was always there. And, and, and now I feel like I'm the porch philosopher, but I have to for that. (laughs) But I learned from her, you know, it's like, keep talking. Somebody's going to listen eventually. But Mm -hmm. I, I had that community that was helpful, but they knew, they knew that my grandfather was, you know, he was always gambling and always at the bars and, and drunk a lot. And my grandmother, she worked, but um, it was the late 60s, maybe early 70s, when she and along with most of the women in my town discovered uh, Valium. Valium was their new best friend and there was which, you know, they knew which doctor to visit to get a prescription. So um, she was she became addicted to Valium. So um, wow. I guess I pretty much was abandoned in my I guess preteen years because you know it was the supervision was pretty minimal mm-hmm. yeah so uh to me junior high was was rough because I could have gone a totally different direction but I felt like part of me was having to be there for them mm-hmm. uh as far as for them like they were coping like she was coping she would go to work and yet when she would come home uh, she was done. She was done for the day. And it was like, wow, you know, <laughs> so what was your, um, okay. You explained, uh, isolating yourself in elementary. So junior high, do you feel that, um, you were taking care of them? What, what were you doing junior high? Well, um, 
we were poor too. Um, my mother was disabled. And so we had government assistance, which, you know, isn't a whole lot of assistance. Right. And um, they smoked, like chain smoked. And, you know, I would be like, hey, if, if y'all stop smoking, that would help. Um, so yeah, I did feel like a parent in some, in some ways. Um, and I would try to come up with a budget to try and help them that way. And they just, they never wanted to listen. They didn't want that. They didn't want that from me. So, yeah. So you became the parent. (laughs) Yeah. In in some regards, definitely. Mm -hmm. Trying to find a solution, uh, out of the situation and making everything better. I do see that like my grandfather would he like in winter things were were rough he was a carpenter so I would be like well if you do this this and this we would have more money and it was like and they would sit there and be like mm-hmm, yeah that sounds like a great idea and nothing nothing would happen she would my grandmother would bring out the long yellow ledger and it was like you know they had they were on social security so that was um this was like no, it wasn't. She, who was on store? No, he had a carpenter's, um, like a pension thing. And so, but he still worked. So there was like an X amount of money at the top. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this bill, this bill, this bill, this bill. But when they retired, it was funny. There was a set amount from Social Security. And then my check, because I was their dependent. So, yeah. And all the, all the bills were like taken out, you know, everything. And usually the amount at the bottom was like, that was it. That was the extra money for, for the, for the month. And it was hard because I knew that that amount was not realistic because they would see it as, okay, you know, I'm going to go play bingo or I'm going to go do this. And yeah, there was never enough. There was not extra money. And yeah, and there should have been because my money was in there too. And, and usually I was, you know, having to wish that I could have things paid for. And miraculously, my mother, who was in a town 40 minutes away, would come through and pay for things that I needed for school. And that was, but that was at the very end, you know, like a Hail Mary in basketball. It was like, okay, last second, <laughs> things would get paid for. <laughs> So then high school, um, I was pretty much looking for a way, uh, like a way out, a way to be mm-hmm. saved, a way to to come out of that situation. And how was your high school time then? Um, well, for me, I started, I developed like chronic illnesses in high school. Mm-hmm. And so it became hard for me to... Um, get through that school experience plus with the abuse at home and try to hold a job um, because it got to the point where my mom didn't want to pay for my toiletries anymore Mm -hmm. or my school clothes or my school supplies so I had to try and hang on to a job so I can afford those things for myself Um, and then my brother it got to the point where she didn't want to pay for my brother either. So one, one year I wound up paying for his school clothes and school supplies. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but even before that, um, like my first paycheck ever, uh, I remember 
I was so excited and I was going to, you know, buy some happy things for me. It's my first check. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And she, you know, I get into the car and I'll never forget this. Uh, She drives me to the juvenile detention center. What? And and she says, if you don't give me your check, you're going in there. Oh, my gosh. And I I held on to that check for dear life. And I told her, Mm. I'm like, you can rip this check. You can tear it, but you're not going to get it. Mm Mm-mm. I'm like, if you want to take me in there, let's go. Yeah. And uh, I wound up getting my check back. But she, from then on out, like, I would have to spend my checks immediately. Mm-hmm. Or keep the money on me. I couldn't save or prepare for life because she would steal my money. <gasps> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. the abuse went from verbal... Um, to financial I mean and yes. also physical on top of that mm-hmm. so here mm-hmm. financial abuse was starting as, as soon as you had money yes oh my gosh that's a lot so here you're trying to help yourself help your brother and she was going to steal it did she ever use guilt to make you give her your money for things for the house Oh, the whole, you know, I'm your mother mm-hmm. and I'm taking care of you. Yeah. You kind of owe me stuff. <laughs> um, the biggest thing that she did was like when I would need a ride to work, mm-hmm. um, she's like, you got to pay me gas of money. Of course. Mm-hmm. But she would do it every time. Yeah. And it was like an outrageous amount. And I knew she was just going to use it for cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, this is ridiculous. And it also, she wouldn't teach me how to drive. Mm-mm. Of course not. It, that, no. would, that wouldn't help her. No. And and she would tell me um, the reason why is because she thought I would damage her car. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I, I didn't have a snowball's chance in hell mm-hmm. at, you know, creating a life for myself away from her or, or just at all yeah and yeah so stealing from me not letting me drive all of those things it was horrible yeah and they didn't they didn't want you to better yourself they just wanted your money you, probably yeah. your um work because you probably did everything around the house let me guess am I correct on that too no actually oh. um my mother uh would not allow me to clean because it wasn't good enough Mm, I so she didn't teach me how to cook or clean or anything Mm -hmm. yeah but would she do it or it just didn't get done the house was spotless she would she would always have a beautiful no matter how poor we were Mm -hmm. the house was always immaculate yeah and, you know, she was really proud of that, as she should be, but yeah, <laughs> she, she should have let me learn and, and taught me mm-hmm. instead of yelling at me and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So did you were okay, like I know senior year, there's a lot of things to pay for, for graduation, cap and gown and pictures, all of the things. Did you have help with any of that? How did, how did you, fin- tell me about senior year. 
I didn't have a senior year. Okay. I had to drop out of school um, because my father almost killed my mother. And uh, he attacked her with a crowbar. And I didn't get to finish school because I had to figure out where I was going to stay after that, Mm -hmm. where my brother was going to stay. I didn't have a vehicle. And um, I had to make sure that my mom was taken care of in the, in the ICU. Okay. How long was she in ICU? She was in there for two weeks. She was in a coma. Uh, she wound up having some brain damage mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. How old were you when this happened? Was this uh, that year or was it before that? Uh, I'm trying to think well, how old was I? It was, I was around 19 when that happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So it affected your education there. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I stick to education is, is to have people have like a timeline on this. And it helps mm-hmm. me to, to, to see how things progressed. And, and as a listener, I think they could see how it progressed. And because sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I'm in this predicament. And it's like, if you see it, it builds, it builds and it, and, and, we could follow your journey. So mm-hmm. We came to this moment of your mom. Um, the do you, were you there for any of the attack, or did you just have? When did you walk into the experience of your mom being in ICU? Okay. Well, my father waited for my brother to be out of the house. Waited for me to be out of the house. We had no idea this was going to go down. Um, if anything, I, I would have figured my father would have attacked me mm. because I was the main target the whole time. Mm-hmm. But um, so my brother was at school and I was at my fiance's house mm-hmm. um, because I didn't feel safe at home. My father was acting erratically towards me. And so I thought it was going to happen to me and I needed to get the heck out of there. Oh, yeah. And so I was at my fiance's house and the detectives came to the door and they were so quiet and just really somber. And I'm like, uh, is it my dad? Is he dead? (laughs) And, and they're like, no, it was your mother Mm. and you need to come with us. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my God. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. But you know, it could have been you if you're there. Yeah. If, if he had chosen, it, it could have definitely been me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did your mom ever tell you what happened? What led to that situation? I don't think she really remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times in such a traumatic like thing like that and with a brain injury, it's hard to remember those things. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, I'm not really quite sure. I think from what I gathered from the the scene, when I came in after the fact, it looked like she had maybe just gotten home from dropping off my brother at school. Mm -hmm. Um, She set the keys down. She set her coffee down. And my dad came and he smashed the table. It was a glass table with the crowbar. And then he attacked her. Okay. Wow. And then two weeks in ICU. Mm-hmm. And so there you were. And at this moment, I, 
if it were a movie, we would be like, okay, this is a moment where mom changes and mom decides to apologize and and Misty and mom make up. Tell us. I know this is not the story, but yeah. (laughs) No, I wish that's how it went. Yes. But um so I'm I'm responsible for her in a way now because you know she can't do things for herself exactly like she could before. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to get her in physical therapy. She's refusing, doesn't want to do it. And it gets to a point where she's just so angry at me and, and whatever I do. And, and so I kind of have to step back a little bit because there's nothing else I can do. Mm-hmm. And one day she shows up and she says, I'm leaving. And I'm like, where the heck are you going? What are you doing? And she's like, uh, I'm going to move to be near your dad. <laughs> so she moves to a town neighboring the prison that he was in at that point. Mm-hmm. And she visited him and bought him things and gave him money for the next 16 years he was in prison. Wow. For for what he did to her. Yes. And she was there waiting for the day he's released. Yes. And me and my brother both, you know, begged her for a long time, please don't do this. This is this is madness and yeah she did not want to hear it but um just before he got released um she called me up and she's like misty um i'm in bad shape with my health and if he did what he did before again she's like i couldn't get away mm-hmm. so she's like i'm not gonna pursue him anymore and i was like oh thank <laughs> god <laughs> That was a huge relief. Took her long enough. Yeah, but she had to come to that conclusion on her own. She wasn't going to listen to anyone else about it. So, Wow. So when, right before she left to go be Mm -hmm. with him, were they writing to each other? Was she taking his collect calls? What was that contact like? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, I had to step back from her because she was just so angry and didn't really want me in her life Okay. at that point. So I'm not exactly sure how that went. She may have visited him in the, in the county jail before the move. Okay. That codependency. Oh, my gosh. She, mm-hmm. she needed to be around him for 16 more years. But I guess it did get scary for her. Like, whoa, whoa. He's going to be out soon and I, I can't defend myself, you know, and that's, I think, go ahead. I think the biggest thing with my mother was, um, you know, she grew up in trauma and abuse as well. Mm-hmm. So it's generational trauma. Uh, I'm not sure she really loved herself. Yeah. And she needed external, um, love if that makes any sense yeah yeah the the love and and the i don't know it's the not justification but uh constant um validation validation yeah the value yeah and even if it's 
connected with violence. It's like that combination for her is what she got from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, okay, so she told you this and it feels like, okay, mom's here. What happened then? Well, um, her health started to decline more. Mm -hmm. Um, But she didn't really talk about it. Like she wouldn't tell me how bad it really was. Like she would say, I was in the hospital for this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good. And I'm like, you know, concerned and I'm starting to like, maybe I should try to help her. Mm -hmm. But she's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like literally she would repeat, I'm okay. Nonstop. Wow. And it was like, uh, okay. She lived about two hours away from me. She never came back. Okay. To the area. Mm -hmm. Even after he was released. Uh, she wound up just loving it out there, but yeah, she, the, the relationship was still kind of strained. Um, she would keep me kind of at arm's length, but you know, she, she did apologize for how she was growing up, Mm -hmm. but I think either from just the patterns that she lived in or, the, the brain trauma, uh, she still would say things to me that were very painful. Mm. Um, like she would say, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm going to come out for a visit. And, and she's like, well, I'd rather see your brother than you. No. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And, and then there was another time and this is all really close to about the time she passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, um, I love you, but I especially love your brother. What? No, 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 no. Yeah. And, and so before she passed, I was kind of distancing myself. Of course. Because I was like, wow, this is really, yeah. this is, this is rough. But yeah, I didn't know how bad she was because she didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. And then all of these things that she's saying, it, it was, it was pretty tough before she passed. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So she passed and then, but your dad hasn't passed, right? That's right. He's, he's still alive. And he's mm-hmm. out. And he's out and he's in a nearby town. He's not far from me. He knows where I live. Mm. And he made yeah. that clear to you as yes. he found you. Yes, he's come to the house multiple times, um, left notes, and I've told him explicitly um, that I don't feel comfortable with the relationship with him, but he didn't listen, and he kept trying, and I just eventually, I stopped answering the door, and I stopped replying, Mm -hmm. and he's kind of left me alone since then, and I hope he continues to, to do so. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you set the boundaries for him and you've made it clear that no, even though I'm sure he would probably do the guilt thing of, but I'm your dad kind of thing. But you, you, you've set the boundaries and your answer of no answer was the answer for him. He did finally understand that because the next thing he knows, the next thing would be a restraining order. And, and, uh, but I don't know. I don't, 
I don't think that people who are, especially parents, uh, they don't understand a restraining order. I feel like, um, I don't know if it, it may be the narcissist in, in him, but it's like he never really grew up and he kind of feels like I, not just me, but like women in general, um, owe him Mm -hmm. and should care for him. Yeah. Um, before my mother passed, um, I did try to rebuild a relationship. I don't really know why, I guess I just felt like something was missing and I wanted to try and, and see if he'd changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, he hadn't, but his house had burned down and I had raised money to help him with that. But it, it just was never enough for him. And it's all about shaming me and telling me how bad of a kid I was growing up. Yeah. And I know, I know I wasn't a bad kid. No, you know, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You knew though, because some kids, it's so ingrained, you know, that their, their abuse is so ingrained that, that women grow up thinking that they're not enough or that they are what their parents tell them they are. And I'm so glad you, you know, that you are awesome and such an amazing woman. It it's taken me these last two years to figure that out, Mm -hmm. just to work and process through all of this. Um, I will say that, you know, in my relationship with my husband in the beginning, it was about doing everything, going above and beyond to please him and and look, you know, more desirable and, and good to him. And it wasn't anything he was doing. No. It's what I was doing to myself because I thought that's what it love was, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing for others. And not having that reciprocated. That that wasn't his fault. That was mine. And but you so, worked through that with counseling? Yes, and journaling and um I used Pinterest a lot to research a lot of things and it helped so so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you finally saw maybe you found an article on Pinterest or finally um read something that tied it all up what was your initial reaction to that? Well, I found something called the mother wound. That was so eye opening. And I didn't know what a narcissist was or the narcissistic family structure that opened everything up to me because I could read it on, you know, I could see it Mm. in front of me that this is the family dynamic and what was crazy to me is that we fit it so perfectly. Yeah. And and I, just to have those labels and that knowledge really helped. Yeah. And when you had that knowledge, um, you know, remember at, at elementary, you were like, you knew you were different. So you isolated yourself. Mm-hmm. Yet as an adult, you found your situation, your home life to be almost textbook in, in, in reading that. Did you feel validated in what you had experienced and think, 
oh my gosh, here is my life right here. And I was not alone. What did that feel yes. like? Yeah. It, I felt validated, vindicated because this whole time I was telling my family, you know, I'm not to blame here. I'm not this flawed, horrible thing that you've created me to be or, or not created, but, you know, imagined me to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, it just, it opened the floodgates. Really. I was able to heal from then just realizing that it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Wow. To, to feel that and, and to know that you were right this entire time, because of course they were telling you probably you're being, you know, this or you're overreacting and shut up and you don't know what you're talking about to hear all of that. And then to finally have it right there, right there that, you know, it, someone has written about it and everything just, you're like, you want to shove it in their face and say, look, 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 but they won't listen. They won't listen. No, I, I, I had to give up, um, on that, mm -hmm. on them listening or, or me being heard by them. I had to do this for me. Yeah. And it, it never was about revenge or putting it in their face so much as it was just trying to heal and figure things out for myself. For Cause yeah. Yeah, because I, I wanted a better life. I didn't want to continue the cycle, um, not just for myself, but for my son. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be a better mother uh, and person in general because of, I, I just didn't want to continue the cycle. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, in order to heal from a cycle like that, you have to educate yourself and, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad you did and you identified what it is that you lived through and having those identifiers placed on what you experienced is like the first thing because um, that, that whole personal honesty of even acknowledging that you went through something and then, and then having the capacity to, to research it and identify it and that's a whole other level of honesty and into accepting that, yes, that was what you experienced. That's the first step in even treating it because some people are like, they'll procrastinate something so important and they know it's it, that they've been through something, but uh, some people just put it off because they don't even want to know what it was because it may have been so horrible but you've come through and you've identified it and you're out there, you know, and you're talking about it and sharing your story and, and maybe sharing with someone out there who is, is experiencing something or may have experienced something in their childhood and they don't even acknowledge it because, you know, women now we, um, you know, we deal with being, being a wife and a mom and still being that daughter and, and knowing what we're, what we're going through, like maybe a bad relationship and knowing that, okay, this, this behavior I'm dealing with now, is it related to me in childhood? And that's what you were doing here. You were as a young, uh, fiance and going above and beyond what, um, you, you knew this was above and beyond to make your partner happy. Mm -hmm. You were doing this 
but if you had not identified going back and and uh, bringing all that behavior that you had you know all the experiences uh, to identify why you were doing this and that and maybe that is helping women out there to realize hey 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 you know misty went through this let me go back and go into this honestly into my experiences and helping myself today and i think that's what why i wanted to bring you on here you had just told me a little bit and i thought oh my gosh because misty when when i see you out there creating art i see the misty of today i see the misty who's creating who's sharing and your sweet voice and it it brings people in but to to be able to um look at what you're creating let's say you're creating um whatever it is you're doing to be looking down on it and then to be such to be open about your experiences even just a little glimpse i think that's what helps women um to share because we might all be you know just down there drawing or just listening to you and Mm -hmm. you're going to ignite something in someone and and i know you're out there helping women so um so today here you are you're a mom of one child yeah one one child okay Mm mm-hmm and so I, I know you're probably an awesome mom and creating and I just, I, I love your story and I love how women can relate to you. Can you tell us where to find you? Uh, where's the best way to find for women to find you? Um, the best way to interact with me is through my TikTok lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I go live Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1030 central time. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way, you know, we can talk and, you know, it, I feel like it's more personal that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on a more private, if someone wants to reach out to you with maybe their experience, the best way to maybe send you a message. Um, still, I would like, I'd prefer TikTok. Okay. Um, just because it's, um, you know, I feel like it's really personal there. Okay. Yeah. And tell everyone your TikTok handle. It's designs by Misty Blue. Mm-hmm. And I will tag you in the bio for that. I, um, I, and I know you have YouTube. Tell us about yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been on there for a couple of years now. Um, but I'm on there more consistently now mm-hmm. with my art and, uh, just trying to share my story there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your art is, um, well, I have my earrings and I know they were clay mold molds, right. That you have for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so those are skeleton. There's what are the sugar skulls? Sugar yeah. Skulls. Sugar skulls. Yes. <laughs> so I know that, um, you know, your art is helping you, but women need to know that, you know, if art is not, you know, where they could go, they could go listen to you on your lives. And I know you're on Instagram and yes, I know people, there's people out there on Instagram and I know you have the same name for everything, right? Is it? Yes. Okay. Designs by Misty Blue. So I don't know. I just, is there one final thought you want to give women out there who may be struggling with situations um 
the okay so for me um i wanted this might be a little bit longer no. than you would want but go for it um <laughs> when when i came out of that environment i just squashed it down and thought i'm out of it i'm safe now i don't have to deal with it i'm good mm. that's not the way it works right. you have to, you have to sit with the emotions you have to process what happened to you so you may not be into art that's okay you can still doodle um but if you don't want to do that i would definitely suggest you know therapy um journaling uh even going out for a walk or going to the park something physical like that that helps um, getting outside helps with anxiety uh, quite a bit, but the only way out of this is going through it. Yes. Yeah. So that's my, that's definitely my suggestion. Mm -hmm. And there's women who won't go through it because it's so painful. Right. You know, and that stops everything right there. Once that it's like, once you have to start remembering and, and identifying and acknowledging everything, it's like, mm, Mm -mm, no no and then it's easier to just keep going and not dealing oh yeah it's it's definitely unpleasant I've cried a lot mm -hmm. but I feel so much better it's it's a huge weight off and the reason I know a lot of people don't they don't want to share their experience they want to keep it to themselves because it's shameful whether you know it's not you it's it's you have to not oh how do I say this you don't want to protect the abuser right mm -hmm. and you have to honor yourself and you know whether you share it or not you, you still need to get the help you know go through therapy and journaling and things like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that shame though that's that is taught that they yeah. have taught us to feel that shame so that we don't share it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and, and once we realize that, then that step of not protecting the abuser comes in. Right. And you don't want to be a hostage to your past. Yeah. Because it will not go away. And whether you mean to or not, um, it affects your own behavior mm -hmm. and how you react to things and how you move forward. Yeah, that's so true. So true. And some pe people think that moving away from the situation, from the family life is the cure all and all. And that is not true because wherever you go, there you are. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this was awesome, Misty. I, if anyone reaches out to me um, about you, I will forward that to you. I can't okay. wait. I will see you tomorrow. And I'm hoping that we could do like just a mini live to talk about the this episode when it comes out and have people um, look at you and maybe some of your art in the background because you're awesome. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> and I can't wait. I can't wait. So thank you so much, Misty. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too. Aww. So we're friends now. <laughs> totally. 
Absolutely. Awesome. We'll see you, Misty. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.